Romans chapter 2. Yay, we made it to chapter 2. Woo! See, progress is being made slowly but surely. And yes, I'm serious, and don't call me Shirley. All right. We have survived the rough stuff from last week. That's the good news. The bad news is you got like another chapter and a half of rough stuff we got to get through. And I, I don't make the rules. I just live here. You have to get and understand the bad news in order for the good news to make any sense, okay? So you just have to know that going in and deal with it. You are working through an orderly theology. Remember I mentioned all those people in the room with Paul. I still contend that somebody was asking questions while he's trying to write a letter, and I'm sure that was not annoying at all. (laughs) But... Part of the benefit of that is you get to deal with all of the objections. So chapter 2 then begins with those objections. What do you do about the people who are hypocritical about it? What do you do about the Jewish and Gentile reality of the church that is going on? Well, we're going to deal with the first one this week, and we're going to start (laughs) on the second one, because the answer to what do you do about the Jewish-Gentile understanding is basically the next three chapters. Paul's not going to leave that for any length of time for several chapters, and then he's going to come back to it, and then he's going to come back to it again, because you're trying to deal with how does this church get put together. Now, before you panic, you know it's a bad week when I'm coming around the podium before we're through the introduction, okay? The reason why this is still vital to us is you're going, we don't have a a Jew-Gentile distinction in our church. Yes, you do. You just don't have it in those stark categories. You have different cultures. You have different ways that you were raised, different ways that you are dealing with your family, different jobs, different socioeconomic realities in your households amongst just the members of our church, just the 40-some-odd people who are here today. Those distinctions are present in a reality, which means seeing how the apostles encourage the church to put those social, economic, cultural differences aside and unify them in Christ is valuable because we're still doing that today. And spoiler alert, you're going to be doing that until Jesus comes back. So, okay, that's just, it's just life in the world. So when you read through this, this is one of the reasons why we, we try to make sure we pick up on the big principles that are being mentioned and we don't miss the forest for the trees. Because if you just focus, well, yes, that's very applicable to how the Jews and the Gentiles will come together. No, 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 no. That's applicable to how any differing cultures come together in Christ. If you don't see it that way, then you have read your Bible with such a narrow focus that you have really just forfeited so much blessing that my encouragement would be recognize that, zoom out to about 30,000 feet and go back and read your Bible again. <laughs> and then realize like, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't see that. And just enjoy it and like be a toddler all over again at Toys R Us for the first time. It'll be so much fun for you. All right. And if you've never taken a toddler to Toys R Us for the first time, I encourage you to go grab a nephew or a grandkid or something and take a toddler to Toys R Us for the first time. And I know there's not a Toys R Us anywhere. There's got to be a toy store somewhere. We did that for Cameron's little brother. How old is he? Two? Watch the child almost rip himself in half. Like for a half an hour, all he said was, oh, cool. Oh, cool. And at one point he said, oh, cool. And started running down an aisle at the moment, something caught the corner of his eye. So his head turned, but the rest of his body didn't. So this part of him tried to go that way, but this part of him was still going this way. And he just like fell over right there. I was like, Hey, let's just start here and we'll go through all the aisles. And he's just like, all the aisles, just all the aisles. He's just, Okay. (laughs) 
So yeah, that's the joy you can go back and read your Bible with. Say, have fun. It'll be worth it. So, all right. Warning again. While you will experience that joy if you go through things with a new set of eyes, we've still got a lot of bad news. <laughs> now, if we go through the bad news and we do a good job, and I am making you no promises that I will do a good job, just so you know. But if we do it right, as we go through all of this depressing stuff, there is a lot of good news, a whole lot of it. So if we do this right, we will be rejoicing in the bad news, right? Sound fun? <laughs> that will make sense in just a minute, I promise. So let's just dive in and get there. Verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Well, that just makes perfect sense to start off a section with, doesn't it? Well, yeah, if you remembered last week. If you don't remember last week, you can go find it. It'll be good for you. This is your connection. You have seen the guilt. You have seen the obligation of the apostle, of the Christian, the guilt of the sinner before God in all things. Now what? Well, you have no excuse. You know, we know, we know that you know, and you know that we know that you know. So now what do we do? Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Stop. With all of that knowledge of chapter 1, don't go into the ditch. You should not be using that knowledge as a baton to beat upon the earth. You should not be using it to condemn, but to recognize that outside of Christ you stand condemned. Does that make sense? And you look at your life, you see all of that list of Romans 1. You see the reality of the judgment of God against sin. You see the reality that all have sinned and that that judgment is being poured, upon, poured out upon all sin. Your first thought should be, oh, <laughs> as you look at your life. That should be your starting point. And again, Paul doesn't pull this out of thin air. This is not some new thing. Things like Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First. Anytime you hear first, what's going to come later? A second. Remember that. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When you read the condemnations against sin in Scripture, when you read the sin lists, your first reminder should be, where does your ministry begin? With me. I should look through those lists and go, okay, time out. Let's make sure, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Working on that one, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Okay, now that I know, I see what the problem is, I see what I'm working on, then I can go out into the world. It always starts with you, which by the way, Christian, this is where your consistency should come from. You should never be self-righteous because, catch this, where does your righteousness come from again? Christ. You can't be self-righteousness if your righteousness comes from something that is outside of you. See how that works? We get accused of the opposite because we look at the sin list and go, that's all of you people. <laughs> How dare you? I got to get that in at least once a week. I get my Greta Thunberg in. Sorry. <laughs> we do that. The world looks at us and go, that's all you Christians ever do. You just yell at us. No, 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 no. See, we got to yell at you because we have already been yelling at us. See how this works? Come on over. We'll yell at us and you. It'll be fun. Fun will be had by all. You'll yell at you. We'll yell at you. I'll yell at me. You'll yell at me. It'll be awesome. In a roundabout way, this is what sanctification looks like, is you being honest, looking at the dark parts of your life and going, Ugh. 
Yeah, okay. Yes, I know, I know, I know. I'm working on it, I'm working on it. But that's good for you. This is where the good news comes in. You stand condemned until you look upon Christ. Remember our math equation. For every look at yourself, take... 10 looks at Christ. Because every time you look at yourself and you see that dark corner that you have not been shining the light upon, and then you look at it and go, immediately get back to the source of the light. Immediately get back to the work of Christ. This is the work that he has accomplished. This is the sin that he has died for. This is the the work that sanctification is overcoming. This is why you're here. So that you can look at that darkness and go, that's got to go, and then go about the work. This is a time to rejoice. Now, James gives you a similar advice on this. James 2. If you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin, are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become transgressors of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Which again, Christian, why you should condemn yourself first and not the world first. Because why are you here again? I mean, why are you you? Why are you standing where you stand? Why do you stand how you stand? Because Christ has taken upon himself the due penalty for your sin. Because your sin has been formerly passed over and has now been dealt with in Christ. You have been forgiven by the grace and mercy of God. Now you look upon the world and go, What's the problem with that relationship? There's literally a parable about this, isn't there? The slave that's in debt gets forgiven of of this massive debt that he could never repay. And he begs for mercy and he receives mercy and he's sent out. And he finds a fellow slave who owes him like 20 bucks. And he's like, give it to me or else. And throws him in jail. It's like, wait a minute. You know, you are merciful because you have received mercy. You forgive because you have been forgiven much. This is the attitude you're supposed to have. This is the warning that I've given you a while back. I haven't given you in a while. Guard your heart in the world. It is very easy to look at the things of the world, to look at the current political climate, to look at the culture that you live in, and to look at it and just say, you people need Jesus, and I have nothing to do with any of you. And you get angry, and you get bitter, and you start thinking it's us versus them. They're not the enemy. They're deluded. They have blind guides. They themselves are blind. They have no hope outside of Christ. Here you are with the knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done, and you're going, I'm not talking to those people. (laughs) I'm not going out into that world. You people have lost your mind. That's not the call that Christ has given to us, and that's, again, why you have to remember your ministry starts with you and then works outward. Take care of the things. Live honestly. Live openly. Let them condemn. Okay, they've rejected. Fine. There will reach a point where you shake the dust off your feet and you move on to the next town. That's fine. Just don't shake the dust off your feet before you ever got any up there. That's all I'm warning you about. Again, terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. You are going to have to evaluate this in your own life, which means you have to be honest with who you are, why you are, and what you're actually doing out there. Have fun. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it is the call that you have in Christ now. And you have the weaponry. Part of the reason you recognize the sin out there is because you first recognize the sin in here. And therefore, I can look at it rightly and understand and also say what? Ha ha, I know what the cure for that is because it was applied to me first. So, verse 2. 
And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Again, the such things are found in chapter 1. You can go back and read them. And as, as the judgment of God rightly must and should fall. Again, Genesis 18. This was Abraham's claim. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? It's a rhetorical question because Abraham already knows the answer to that question is what? Yes, the judge will deal justly if the judge is God. Psalm 51. I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now again, Christian, that's not a baton. That's a spur to you. Keep in mind, Psalm 51, David's saying, I have sinned against you and you only. He's talking to God. Do you know what the occasion of Psalm 51 is? Does anybody have this one? What the occasion of David's writing of Psalm 51 they, uh, yeah, his sin with Bathsheba. So let me get this straight. You slept with another man's, another man's wife. You then had the man killed so that you could bring her into the house and marry her. And you've sinned only against God? I think Uriah would like a word. <laughs> now, does that mean David has done no wrong to Uriah? No. But ultimately, where will the judgment for your sin be found? All that sin against Uriah, where will the judgment of that be found? Uriah going to stand there at the end of time with a bat and go, bring him here. Come on, let me at him. No, God will. So who needs to deal with this and who do you need to deal with? God. This is why David's call. And that's again, David says, you're right when you judge. I'm in sin and iniquity was I conceived. And yet what's the end of that? Wash me and I will be clean. Purify me and I will be whiter than snow. This is the hope of the gospel, Christian. This is the hope that you have to keep center in your mind when you go out into the world. Otherwise, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred for the world will creep in. You will look at it as an us versus them, and there will be no middle ground. Because someone out there will say they're sorry for something, and you'll say what? I don't believe you. (laughs) You couldn't possibly be. Look at everything that you have done. How many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? (laughs) Yeah. This is the reminder as you enter into the world. You are, you are not having a Jew-Gentile clash, but if you were a faithful Jew, you are. Because you're having a clash with a believing versus an unbelieving culture. And that's how the Jews would have seen the Gentiles in their church. That would have been part of their problem is, how are you going to take us, the holy, pure, and righteous people of God, and shove us into a church with them? <laughs> Trust me, you've never thought that about the outside world. I know, you people are such wonderful <laughs> You've never looked at someone else and been like, yeah, no. I think Jesus can save a lot of people, but that one, that one I have questions about. This is the reminder of the work of the gospel, and this is the reminder of the attitude that we have when we enter into the world, is that there isn't an us and a them. It's a dealing with sin and a reminder of where the enemy truly is. It's not the person. It's the ideology. It's the corruption. It's the worldview that is all built upon the lie of the garden, the lie of what sin has promised and what it is failing to deliver. And then the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that comes out of seeing that your life is a lie and not knowing where the truth can actually be found. This is the world that we enter into when we enter into a world without Christ. So, verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man? When you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Yeah, you've never met that person in church either. I had a friend years ago. Um, good Catholic boy. <laughs> Cameron's already picturing this. She knows. He's like, no, 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 it doesn't really matter. I can just go to confession this week and, and you know, find out how many Hail Marys I have to do and I'll be forgiven. I'm like, dude, I don't think that's how that works. And, and keep in mind, this was like Thursday and he was on Girlfriend 3 of the week. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think that's how that game is supposed to be played. No, nah, no, nah, it'll be fine. All right, yeah, have fun. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. Sorry. Let me summarize this really simply. Who do you think you are? That's basically what Paul... Paul's going to be more explicit later, but basically that's the summation of this verse. Who, who do you people think you, you are? What is going on here? First, reminder of overarching themes. I'm going to do this periodically as we go through this book. You will not be capable of understanding the book of Romans unless you keep in the back of your brain. Paul has a sovereign God. Paul has a God who rules and reigns over all things. If you forget that, you will read Romans and go, but that doesn't line up with this. Yes, it does. When you remember that God rules and reigns, not over some of the stuff, but over all of the stuff. So when you sit there and go, no, 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 no. I have named the name of Christ and I see the iniquity of those people out there, but my iniquity is covered. I don't have to worry about it. Who? What? Uh, no, dude, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Remember what I always tell you guys. You're worried about your sin. Good. That's step one. You're worried about it. The pagan says what? I don't care. So to sit there and say, yeah, they have their sin and that's evil and that's condemning. But my sin over here is not a big deal because Jesus has covered that. It doesn't sound a whole lot like caring about sin, does it? Again, who doesn't care about their sins? Pagans. The unbeliever. This is non-believers cloaked in believing language. Because trust me, Satan would never try to use Bible verses to corrupt the people of God, would he? (laughs) Brings Jesus out into the wilderness and does what? Has God not said? (laughs) And then quotes the Bible out of context. (laughs) So there Jesus has to say, yes, yes he did, but... That's, uh, oh, who was it that had that line whenever... Oh, it's Paul Washer. Um... I will not tell you to listen to Paul Washer. It will do you good because if you don't know who Paul Washer is and you listen to a Paul Washer sermon, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you think I'm bad about taking the frying pan of Cracker Barrel and, or no, it's Golden Corral that had the frying pan, right? Yeah, if you think I'm bad with the Golden Corral frying pan, Paul Washer has a tendency to make my frying pan look like one of those like little plastic hammers that kids have that squeak when you hit them. <laughs> Like, I listen to Paul Washer sermons and I feel bad about myself. So it's like, so I, you've been warned, okay? You've been warned. So be fruitful and multiply. But when people, his favorite, his favorite quote of, that he gave of mine is, somebody asked him, what do you do when someone quotes to you Matthew 7 that we read earlier? Judge not lest ye be judged. And he says, my answer is always twisting not scripture lest ye be like the devil. <laughs> And I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes, I, that's, that's me. The, the, the fist comes up from the back. Yes! <laughs> that's how you're supposed to answer that. Yeah, you can say that, but that's not how that verse is supposed to be applied. And, and you know who twists their Bible like that and tries to get people to uh, excuse their sin? Woe to them who call evil good and, and good evil. That's what you have to remember in this world. The people who do that 
are the wolves. They are the false teachers. They are the twisters of scripture. They are the ones that Jude has warned you about. They're the ones that Second Peter has warned you about. They're the ones that Paul warned the uh, Christians, what is it, Acts 20, that the savage wolves would come in. These are the warnings of scripture because you have to pay attention. This is why I tell you, it's in your bulletin. All these extra verses that I read are, are in your, uh, this week they're not all in there because I've thought of more as I've gone, so I apologize for that. But most of them, the ones that I've read are in your bulletin. The ones that I'm just quoting off the top of my head and you're getting my train translation of them. Those are not in the bulletin, but you'll have to look those up on your own. <laughs> and remember, my translation is not infallible. Things will get out of order. Things will get mixed up, you know. Why are they there? So if you have questions, you can check. Because what do I always tell you? If you have questions, what should you do? We get to joke about this this morning in Sunday school. I still laugh at this. Somewhere in like the end of 2018, I started in Sunday school, I had this idea that we'll go through the Bible in big chunks. We'll start in Genesis, go all the way to Revelation. I laid out how I thought it might go, and I figured somewhere between 6 and 12 months is how long it'll take us. So I was like, we'll start it around the end of 2018, and somewhere around 2019 I'll come up with something else. We're in John. Yeah, we made it to the Gospels five years later. (laughs) Why? Because every once in a while, somebody asks a question, and there goes the rest of Sunday school. And it's, <laughs> I wasn't blaming anybody today. It wasn't your fault, so I can't blame you. I mean, when it's your fault, I'll blame you. <laughs> it's somebody different. I mean, we went a couple, of, it's been a few years, before COVID now. Isn't that, that's how you can date things? Like, instead of AD and BC, we have, you know, BC is now before COVID. <laughs> so sometime BC... Somebody asked me, he's like, hey, I was slipping through my channels and um, there was this guy talking about how Eve slept with the serpent. And I'm going, you found a dude who teaches serpent seed theology? That was two weeks of Sunday school, gone. We, I had it on the board. We were laying out where it come from, what the problems were. That's why it's taken us five years and we've only gotten to the Gospels. But why? You have questions. Scripture and the Holy Spirit have answers. And we want to provide them, and we want to do the research and dig them up and go through them. So I encourage you in Sunday school, I encourage you in here. If you have a question, write it down, ask me about it. If it's something worthwhile, I'll bump a trivia question, and we'll take care of it, or we'll do it in the sermon, because that's how it's supposed to work. Shine light on what? Everything. It's all going to come to light at the end anyway, so what should we do now, people of the light and the salt? Shine it as much as we can, everywhere that we can. That's the joy. And by the way, the other reason you can rejoice here and why this should be something you always remember, God's standard isn't going anywhere. Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Again, it's all coming out in the end anyway. What's the best thing to do now? It's like when your parents used to look at you and go, I'm going to find out. You might as well tell me before you make it worse on yourselves. <laughs> and you start doubting. I don't know if it's going to make it any better now. Like I could have my beating now or I can have my beating later. <laughs> I'll go with later. I will t- it's the old bugs, buddy. You can shoot me now or you can shoot me when you get home. <laughs> I'll take my chances over later. There's a chance you'll forget. I might get away with it, you know. (laughs) Maybe you'll calm down. I'll I'll take my chances. That doesn't work with God. He doesn't forget. He doesn't misplace it. It's not like his wrath went somewhere else. Deal with it now, openly, honestly. Deal with that darkness before it grows to become an all-consuming problem. That's how it's supposed to work. Verse 4. 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? See, this is more joy stuff. This is not unique language, by the way, for Paul or anybody else. First Timothy 1. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And you should always read that verse in the first person. It's the only verse I've ever given you permission in your Bible to argue with. When Paul goes, I'm the worst sinner ever to live, you should look at him and go, no. <laughs> my sin's worse than your sin. <laughs> It's like when people, my dad can beat up your dad. Uh Uh-huh, my dad forgave me more than your dad did. (laughs) That's what you should do. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me is the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to be glory and be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's reminder. I was really, really bad, and Jesus still saved me. See, that's a reminder because I can look out in the world and see that those people are really, really bad. But if I'm worse than they are and Jesus can save me, then what does that mean? There's hope. I should do what? Remember who I am. Remember why I stand and shine light accordingly. And I say, I say this language isn't unique to Paul. First Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He's writing to you, by the way. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And again, Christian, this is a cause for joy. This should be a reminder of who you were and who you are so that you go out into the world victoriously and joyously. I don't have to be angry and bitter about the brokenness of the world. Jesus can fix this. And if he doesn't, then the judgment will come and I will rejoice either way because I will have escaped the wrath and I will have been put back together and God will rightly deal with all of these things. That should be a cause for joy and a reason why I can walk out unaffected and unbothered and proclaim the truth because I know what it is. It has set me free. It'll set you free, but keep on doing what you're doing. I mean, (laughs) you will deal with God. I won't deal with God for you. You will deal with God for you, but I'm warning you ahead of time. This is the attitude you have. That way you don't have to look at there and go, no, 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 I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not, not today. I can't do this today. Yes, you can. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. (laughs) This is how we live each day. And every day. This is the world that you have been given. Don't sit there and long for the one 500 years ago. I got bad news for you. The people 500 years ago were complaining about how bad it was compared to when they were, yeah, when they were kids. The people 500 years ago looked at their grandkids and went, these kids, so disrespectful, no work ethic, can't believe it. World's going to hell and they're leading the charge. This is what's gone down. This is, they've been doing that since as long as there have been people. Basically right after, like five minutes after Seth. <laughs> Because Adam and Eve couldn't go kids these days because they remembered Cain. <laughs> you don't get to look at Seth and go, man, kids these days. No, do you remember what the other one was like? Good point. All right. He's wonderful. Seth, 20 minutes later, is doing what? Kids these days. This is what humanity does. Don't do that. This is the world you've been given. This is the world you've been strengthened for. This is the world you have been prepared for. This is the world that you inhabit to the glory of God. Yamul. Figure out how you glorify God in this world. Verse 5. But... Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. I told you, Paul doesn't let up. He just, there's, 
There is no point at which Paul goes, that horse is dead. I am going to stop kicking it. Paul's like, nope, 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 it's twitching. That is Paul when it comes to theology. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Yep, this is nothing new for humanity. So if you rewind back about five, about 600 years from Paul writing here, you would be at Jeremiah's remark that I read last week describing Israel as stupid children. Unable to learn, unable to listen, unable to follow the simple concepts that God has given. Doing what? Storing up wrath. They've only been storing up wrath by the time Paul writes this for 600 years. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. Humanity is what humanity is. And this is part of the warning that's been given. Uh, Matthew 13, Jesus warned the disciples about this. The disciples came to him and said, uh, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Whoever has, to him more shall be given. He will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive, for the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. They want to be ignorant. They want to be blind. They want to be deaf. Which, by the way, remember the warning of Ecclesiastes. You learn more and more about the world. You learn more and more about your sin as you've grown in Christ. You learn more and more about the righteousness of God and the evils of the world. Are you happier for that knowledge? (laughs) This was Solomon's point in Ecclesiastes, wasn't it? The increase of knowledge is no comfort because the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. And the more you recognize about the realities of the world, the more you realize that you were really a little bit happier when you didn't know so much. <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the downside of cable news, isn't it? Before, news, before, before there was the 24-hour news cycle, how long did it take for information to get out? Days weeks, months, and you could kind of deal with something. But how many things were going on that you had no clue about? All of a sudden, we have cable television and the internet, and we're like, we know all of this stuff. Isn't it great? Well, now there's like a missing kid in Kansas that I'm freaked out about. Like, have you, you laugh. Have you noticed this on the highway stuff with the little signs? I didn't realize how bad it was. We, um, we went to Iowa for something and we drove by on, we had driven, I'd come into work on like a Wednesday and driven by the sign on 20 and there was the, the, the missing persons alert on the vehicle to look for. And then like on Thursday or Friday, we drove to Iowa and just outside of Davenport was the sign with the same information. I'm going, that was information two days ago in Rockford. Is this person lost just driving around in circles in northern Illinois? Northern Illinois isn't that big. You could do like a circle in a day. It's been three days. They've done the circle like nine times. Surely someone spotted them by now. I have no idea where they are. Why am I worried about it? Because they gave me the information and now I have to do something with it. This is the warning of the world and why I tell you to slow down and be careful. Guard what you consume and guard how you consume it. Because once it's there, I got to do something. I think about it. I have to stew on it. I have to worry about it. I have to try to ignore it. I have to get mad about it. 
Terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. You might be a person who thrives on that. You might be like me. My resting heart rate's about 60 and my blood pressure is below normal. So every once in a while I have to watch some stuff on television that annoys me so I don't pass out. <laughs> Cameron was looking at me the other day. He's like, why? I was watching all these um, interactions with uh, drivers and police where the police are like in the wrong and the driver's arguing with them. Cameron's like, I can't take it. I'm like, yeah, but I need this. This is good for me. It gets my blood pressure up to a normal rate. <laughs> You laugh. I actually did pass out a few weeks ago in the kitchen. I, I stood up too fast. We joke it's called the check engine light. You know when you stand up too fast and you get a little lightheaded? I did that. I stood up, grabbed my coffee mug, walked to the kitchen, went to put it in the sink, and next thing I know, I'm looking at Cameron sitting on the floor. And I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Now she's going to make me go to the doctor or something. <laughs> Start talking fast. How do you get out of this one? So yeah, be careful. You have high blood pressure. You might want to turn the news off for a minute. Why? Because you have to guard what you consume so that you can actually remember the hope that you have. This is part of the active portion of sanctification, is recognizing that you're wired a certain way, you handle certain things, pick something, you know, pick something to be concerned about and try as much as you can to put out the rest. Because the more you overwhelm yourself with the things of the world, guess what you're most likely to push out? You're pushing out the things of God first. Nobody's ever gone, you know, I'm so busy with the kids and with the stuff at work, you know. Nobody's ever looked at all of that and been like, I think it's time to get rid of like Thursday night poker night. That never goes. What goes? Midweek Bible study, that's first. Sunday school's gone. You know, worship most of the time. That's, that's the way it goes. I, I've joked about this for years that... um. Lifeway a few years ago had to do this with their survey methodology. If you, I don't know if they've changed it, but if you ever read a survey from like 10 years ago from Lifeway, and it's a survey of regular church attenders, that means about 25 times a year. That's a regular church attender, statistically speaking. is basically every other week. And you're going, that's like sort of regular. <laughs> See, I, in my world, regular church attendance is like three, three and a half times a week. That doesn't mean you get to show up for like half the service. That means, you know, some weeks you're actually there the whole month and then some weeks you're, you know, some months you're not. But that's the standard that we've allowed as the church because what do we do? The more of the world that comes in, the more of God that goes out. Don't do that, Christian. Pay attention. Notice what your scales are. Notice what your balance is. And by the way, if I'm not talking to you, then I'm not talking to you. <laughs> if I am talking to you, I'm sorry. I didn't do it. God made the rules. I don't make the rules. I just live here. So evaluate your life. Do accordingly. Manage how you see fit. Let's see. Verse 6. So the wrath of rev the revelation of righteousness of judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, because God will deliver what is owed, again, Psalm 62, loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Christian, that should be good news for you. That should be good news for you. Because in whose power are you offering your work? The power of the Spirit, right? I want to be judged in Christ based on the standard that is given. Why? Because I am seeking to live my life as an offering unto God through the power of the Spirit. Judge me on that. Because <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to do. This is good news. Render according to my deeds because my deeds are supposed to be offered in Christ. If you read that and your first thought is, Nyee. congratulations, guess what you just found? You found that little pit of darkness. What should you do? This is why you kill it with fire. Fire shines the light. <laughs> it shines so much light that it can't exist anymore. <laughs> this is... A reality for the world, though. This is, again, the message we should take in. This is what I joke about those Ray Comfort videos. You know, 
you believe if God judged you according to your life, how would you be? And what I always love is the ones that are honest, which is 99.9% of them, say what? Guilty. Because they know. And they know that he knows. And so they answer honestly. Again, Christian, you should be able to answer honestly and rejoice. Because yes, those sinful deeds are covered in Christ. This righteous offering empowered by the Spirit given unto the kingdom is what I should be judged on. Why? Because I'm going to get there and go, no, 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 not my great accomplishments, his great accomplishments. Because that is what I seek to do in my life. And if you're not, you have found your sin area, you have found your idol, kill it, go, and now you know what you're supposed to be doing. Verse 7. To those who persevere, I'm sorry, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. This is the standard. What is your offering based in? What is it done? Again, Paul doesn't pull this out of thin air. John 3, everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. We actually, um, we actually have a joke about this. You ever have that friend who's like, no man, I can't come to church. I'll burst into flames if I walk in the door. I, I had somebody in my life who used to tell me that all the time. It was my mother. <laughs> she would come every once in a while and be like, I didn't burst into flames. Aren't you so happy? Mom, it's never mind. <laughs> It's not how this works. Trust me. It'd be a lot more entertaining if it did sometimes, but <laughs> unless you're going to put me in charge of getting to choose who. <laughs> Admit it, you have had that person in church be like, Lord, if you're going to strike someone today. <laughs> See, and you're all picturing that face. Stop it, you're bad people. That's what John is about. Why do they joke like that? Because they know the reality. They don't want to stand before God. They don't want to stand around with the people of God. They don't want to hear the words of God because they know what's wrong and they know what is coming. That's why the problem is always you because you're shining light. How dare you stop doing that? You're making me realize the truth about myself. And I've spent a lot of time cultivating this carefully crafted lie so I don't have to spend any time thinking about the truth. Welcome to the world. Verse 9. There will be tribulation. And distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This we know, this has been promised all the way back Daniel 12, that there will be coming a time of tribulation and a separating and all those who are dead will be raised. And we know that it's coming, but notice again the categories. And remember, if you're Paul writing in this world, these are the categories of humanity. There's the people of God and the not people of God. <laughs> that's, that's it. There's not another, there's not like, well, well I'm sort of kind of in both worlds. No, you're not. That's the person, again, who we talked about earlier, who sits there and says, yes, 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 their sin is evil and sending them to hell. My sin is no big deal and I don't worry about it. That's trying to have a foot in both worlds, which means where's your foot really? It's in that one. <laughs> it's in the world that's over there. The one that Jesus talks about that is outside of the gates, beyond the wall where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the world that their feet are firmly planted in. There's only two categories of people. These are what, de what um, Paul is dealing with. Why? Verse 11. Because there is no partiality with God. Yes, thank you, amen. I, I want this. You know why? Because you guys all had a face a minute ago when I said, you know, when you put you in charge of, Lord, if you're going to strike someone today, you immediately all thought of someone. 
That's why you don't want your standard. Your standard is unbalanced. Maybe they deserved it. Maybe they didn't. I'm not trying to figure that out. I don't know. You'll have to deal with that later when you, you, know, when you think about yourself. But God's standard is good. Deuteronomy 10. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Like you don't get to show up in the last day and be like, hey God, how about if I slip you a 20 here? Oh my goodness, it's 2023 with inflation. How about I slip you a hundred? <laughs> I mean, well, this is why you get the, the, the verses you get that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money and your gifts. He owns everything, which again is part of, again, the theme of Romans here that God owns all. He doesn't need what you provide. Um, Acts 10 gives you the same understanding. I understand that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That was Peter seeing the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles, you know, the not people of God. And what what does Peter realize real quick? Oh, this people of God is going to get real big real quick. Because who's going to decide who this people is? God will. And you don't get to put up the barriers. Now, Christian, that should change how you live. To change how you think about things. James 2. My beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which they have been called? This is James's warning. Why are you looking at the world and going, this guy we like, this guy we don't like, this guy will treat bad well, this guy will treat badly. Um, who do you think you are again? How did you get here? Why are you standing where you're standing the way that you're standing? And again, they look at you and think the exact same way. This is part of those, those reminders about the world that the church always likes to forget. Is they look at us and go, can you believe these miserable weirdos? <laughs> because you look at your sin and say what? This is terrible and this is something that needs to go. They look at their sin and go, but it makes me happy. And the great prophet Cheryl Crow already told you that if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> see, see, see. For those of you that don't know 90s rock music, you're welcome. You're better off. For those of you that do, you now have that twangy wine voice in the back of your head. And I didn't do it because I didn't write the song or I didn't sing it. <laughs> but, that's the, but isn't that the mindset in the motto of the world? I enjoy it. If it feels good, do it. This is, this, is, this is who I am, and I'm going to live out my truth. These are all the same phrase, just a little twist, just a little adjustment to, to allow me to do what? What I want, when I want, how I want. You look at that and go, that is no way to live. Why? Because you recognize the truth of what God has done. They look at you and go, this is the only way to live, because otherwise you're miserable and you hate yourself all the time. Good, have you met you? You probably should hate you a little bit more than you actually do. This is why I joke about self-esteem in the world and the overdose on the identification of how awesome we are. We aren't. And the fact that we continually try to explain to ourselves that we're the greatest thing that has ever been and no one could ever be smarter than us or more wonderful than us is just insane because it looks at the world that God has built and it puts us in the center of everything. Again, I've told you this before. I make a lousy God. You probably make a lousy one too. Just saying. Nothing personal. Love you to death, but you're, you're a lousy deity. I'm not worshiping. I'm not bringing my alms. 
you know, we, we have an actual savior that we can deal with. So I don't have to worry about worshiping you. Why? Because again, because what are we? We're jealous and we're capricious and we're slanderers and we are spiteful. That's why I joke when I said, please, Lord, if you're going to strike someone today, you had a face. There was someone you thought of. That's why I always joke with you guys about the family reunion thing. Like every family has that one person at the reunion that everybody sees and goes, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to hang out with them. It's just help me. Get, if they come over here, get me away. And, and I always joke that if you don't know who that person is at the family reunion, it's because you are that person at the family reunion because everybody's got that person. And you're immediately, and most of you immediately thought of the person at the family reunion that you're like, oh no, they brought that weird potato salad again, didn't they? <laughs> and someone looked at you and said, what's wrong with the potato salad? Nothing, nothing. It's their potato salad that's the problem. This is us. We can't run a universe. We can't run ourselves. God can. Come back to the standard. Come back to the foundation. Build rightly. And then recognize as you go out into this world that you're trying to deal with a people that have no concept. This is why the prayer is what it is in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. That's why the hope is, I can't manage this. I can't think it through. I can't accomplish it, but he can. So what do I need? I need less of me, more of him, more building upon the foundation, more returning to God, more self-evaluating so that I can understand that as I found the brokenness in me, I find my completeness in him. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Yeah, all are guilty. What did Paul tell you in the last chapter? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Whether it's unrighteousness and ungodliness that you know about, or whether it's unrighteousness and ungodliness that you're lying to yourself about. Either way, you're guilty. Verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Notice. Just because you go, no, 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 I know what's right. I didn't do it, but I know. So, <laughs> why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is one of those constant reminders. Who's the law for? A redeemed people. A people that have been changed by God, pulled out of their sin and their slavery, and been shown what does it now look like to live and honor God. Well, why would they want to honor God? Well, because they've been pulled out of their sin and their slavery by God. You look at the darkness you were in, you see the marvelous light in which you stand, and you go, I want to stay right here. <laughs> Jesus, how do I stay here? Let me show you. Let me teach you. Israel, you want to get out of slavery and bondage and go into a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Here's now how you live now that I have accomplished this for you. Sweet. <laughs> it's the people that went, no, 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 no. I'm good. I liked it better than in, in slavery. I liked it better in the wilderness. I liked it better somewhere else. I don't want the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't want these good things. Why? Because I don't see the benefit of God because they haven't been pulled out of their sin and their slavery. They have been left to it and put upon it and they have, they have wallowed in it. That is not you, Christian. That is why you are not supposed to be just a hearer, but a doer. And again, this is nothing new. James 1. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. <laughs> I mean, this is like, hey, do I have a nose? Yes, it's right there. Huh. Yes. Okay. Nose here. Wait a minute. Um, what would you say about this person? Like, 
don't don't they have the little jackets with the buckles in the back for that type of guy? You know, like so you can stop being the crazy one for a few minutes. That's the same thing that Paul is talking about. Holiness is a merciless standard, by the way, which is again why, Christian, you are not standing because of your accomplishment. You are accomplishing because of your standing. Because of who you are in Christ, because of the accomplishment of Christ, because of the giving of the Holy Spirit, you now look at your sin and go, that's a problem. We need to kill it, and we need to keep walking. If you try to kill it so that God will be happy with you, you are on the wrong track. You are trying to put your feet in two worlds. You have your foot in neither that is good, and you are doomed. Again, this is why the work of Christ is so important. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It is Jesus. It is his work. It is his accomplishment, his power, his spirit, his doing of all of these things that we rest and rejoice in. So that as we look at our world, we can look hopefully and joyously. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So the Gentiles who have not been given the law of God because they weren't taken out of Egypt and out of their slavery are by nature following the law. They understand it. And by the way, that's the same argument Paul was making in Romans 1. You know. You know what's right and wrong. No one ever looks at it and be like, no, no, no. I thought it was perfectly acceptable for me to go to Walmart and just steal stuff off the shelf. You mean there's laws against that? <gasps> who would have thunk it? And you know how you know that they know that they're lying about that? Because if you stole something from them, what would they say? How dare you take that from me? That is mine. I stole it from Walmart, fair and square. (laughs) That's what Paul's getting on about. Continue on. In that, they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. See, the standard is what it is, and it never changes, and it's not something that is unaware. Why? Because God has shown them, uh, chapter 1, and because overarching theme, this is a universe run by God. There are no random people running around going, no, 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 no. I missed that stamping out portion of creation. I have entered in free and clear. Oh, who was it? Um, Political philosophy for those of um, American history junkies. The uh, the, uh, John Locke, the tabula rasa the blank slate of humanity. No, 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 no. If you've ever had children, you know how much of a lie this is. These people are just blank, and they are to be molded and influenced into the world. Yeah, because you all taught your kids how to lie to you, didn't you? Like, you sat down when they were two and be like, all right, sweetie, when mommy says, did you eat the cookie? After you've eaten the cookie, you say no. You got it? Okay. (laughs) No, they immediately knew what? Oh, I'm going to get out of trouble. How? By lying. And when you told them, are you lying to me? They immediately went, no, because they knew what? Lying was wrong. How many of you taught your kids to hit their siblings? You sat down and had that listen. All right. When your brother annoys you, you take your hand and go, pow. Aim for the nose. That's the best spot. And yet, what did every one of you that had more than one kid have happen at one point? <laughs> like, like, I mean, I have a son who, when he was a child, was like the, the sweetest, most kind thing ever, wouldn't hurt a fly. His sister annoyed him one day when he was about two, and from the other room, we just heard, <laughs> and we stopped like, did he? He finally did it. Walked in, and Jada is sitting there. She's like 10 months old. She's sitting there like this. 
Like, <laughs> like she couldn't even get mad about it. She was just so shocked. And my only words, because I'm a terrible human being, was when I'm, I am astounded it took him this long. Because <laughs> she had been on him for about a month, just annoying him senseless. And I'm like, I'd have hit her by now. <laughs> we kept trying to get him to stop. But, but she, then she saw us, and then she started to cry. She's like, oh, wait, I can get him in trouble. <laughs> you know the look on Connor's face when he saw us come in the room? Because he knew what to. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's like, I know why. There we go. Go team. <laughs> All the stuff you don't think about, the batteries usually start flashing at you red and then they die. No, today they're just going to die. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Uh, we'll deal with it. We're almost there. <laughs> no. You know. The Gentiles know. The kids knew. Your kids know. And yet they still do what? They still lie. They still steal, they still try to cheat, they still try to get away with it because it's all they know how to do. This is humanity. This is what Paul is talking about as I'm throwing things around now. Verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Because again, what's the reality? Judgment is coming. Therefore, what Christian? Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Um, summarize that real easy. Be joyful in the world, dwell on the things of Christ, love the brethren, do not forsake the brethren, and recognize that as you enter into this world that you are different, and you encounter things differently, and you proclaim them differently, and you celebrate and rejoice in all things because of who Christ is and what he has done for his people. Let's pray.